You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. How many of you know you can kind of tell when somebody's in training? How many of you know you can kind of tell when they quit training or used to train? Okay. And so uh, this is real important. Paul had told Timothy to train yourself in godliness. Um, and we're well into this. this is actually our 10th week in what I originally, uh, thought would be a three week series. And, um, but I really want to follow the Lord on this. And I felt like it was much more than just to tell you what you should do. Uh, but that we find out what to do and how to do it. So we are in training. I want to, um, kind of give you a chart here this morning and then this will be shorthand for for where we're at here and again this will be review for us but first of all there are a lot of things that we have been trying to do that we should be what that we should be training to do i, I realize there's one other category not trying and there are people that are not trying i'd rather be on the board okay And at least be trying, but you know, one of the reasons why some people are not trying is because they tried and trying doesn't do it. If trying would get it done, it would have been done. What we have to do is train. Now train involves trying. Matter of fact, in training, two essential elements here, first of all, effort, everybody say effort. And then here's the big one, consistency. Because if you just put out effort, that's just trying. But when you roll it over into a consistent effort, now you're training, okay? And what we're talking about, what are you talking about? Training in church here, or what we call, and this is kind of shorthand for us this morning, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that are going to impact us, okay? As you consistently are involved in training, these spiritual disciplines will impact us. I'll come back to this in just a second. It will impact us in some ways. Does anybody remember high school football? We will be what? Happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. Now listen, don't roll your eyes and I know we've done this for 10 weeks. No. Do you want to be happy, stable, fruitful, blessed? Well, it's going to take away more than 10 weeks. You know, but I, I want us to keep this clearly in view. The... This is what's going to happen as we have effort and consistency applied to spiritual disciplines. These will form in our life, not just by trying to be happy, trying to be stable, but by submitting ourselves to these disciplines that we're looking at. This will happen in your life. These levels will go up in your life. And all of this happy, stable, fruitful, blessed so that we can be what? And that's the goal. But I've got an even higher goal for you this morning. That ultimately this is what it boils down to. Glorifying God. Glorifying God. This is the chief end of man. This is the whole purpose. Everything we're about is to glorify God. And the best way that we can glorify God is to do what he said to do and to walk with him. That's the spiritual disciplines. It will cause this in your life this is a major life upgrade so that you can be a blessing to other people which ultimately is going to fulfill the greatest thing which is that you glorify god that's pretty weak amen amen now let's go back and look real quick here at spiritual disciplines 
We've looked at two so far. We're going to look at two today. We started out with study. The study of God's word. It's actually not just always just study. It's to read it. It's to study it. It's to hear it. It's to meditate on it. And uh, I felt that we needed to expand on that. So we're taking three Wednesday nights. This Wednesday night will be the third one where we're teaching you how to study the Bible. And you need to be there. I said you need to be there. One way or another, you need to get this message. What is involved in study? First of all, time. Second of all, tools. And I'm, I'm teaching all this on Wednesday night. Then you need to pray because the spirit of the author, God knows what he meant. Okay? So God will help you with that. And then major, you bring all of that together into methods. And that's what I'm, I'll be teaching on, showing you some things this week. Your life changes. Your joy level, your lights will go on once you start to crack open the book, so to speak. And God reveals things and, and there are ways to do this. So we'll look at that a little bit more on, on Wednesday night. And then the other discipline that we've looked at is prayer. And I won't go back and review all of that, but I do want to say this. If you were not here or even if you were, you need to go back and hear last week's message again. Okay, go back and hear that very, very important message. Um, It's important that we pray. The biggest problem with praying is what? We don't. We don't. So um, we're showing you also how to pray so that you can uh, you can change and things can change in your life. Today, I want to move on and actually show you a combination of some disciplines. This is all right. If I teach this morning. Okay, I know some of you, maybe church you grew up in, they yelled at you and preached and preacher spit and stuff. I just, I, I can act that out. You like my tie? Wait a minute. Somebody gave it to me and I actually was, I was afraid of it. So I woke my wife up this morning. I said, are you sure about this tie? She goes, yes, it's fine. I hope, I hope she was awake when she said that. I'm still not confident, but anyway, all right. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Two disciplines we want to look at today, and they go together, actually, even though they're opposites. Solitude. Everybody say solitude. And fellowship. Say fellowship. And they're opposites. But yet they're necessary. You've got to have a balance in these. If you don't have both of these, if you don't have both of these, you're going to be out of balance. If you're only alone, and I'll say this again in the message, Christianity, relationship with God does not work in isolation only. It's then irrelevant. But if you're only alone, you will get off. You'll be immature spiritually and you'll get off. When you you don't have others to help shape and balance and so forth, you, you get off. But you must have alone time. You have, and not me time, it's God time. Solitude with God. And then fellowship, you you have to have that where you're with others. And we're going to kind of form all that this morning. But you have to have both of these. Now, if you're an introvert, the the part of the word there, vert, comes out of the Latin and it means to turn. So if you're intro, you turn what? You turn inward. And if you're extro, you you turn outward. Well, if by personality you're an introvert, then you love solitude and you struggle with fellowship. And if you're an extrovert, 
You love fellowship and you struggle with solitude. But what you have to make sure of is that you don't cater to your personality. Because your personality is no longer in its pure original form. You've been dented. You've been stretched. You've been distorted. You've been added to. You've grown up. There's all kinds of things. And so we can't just say, well, that's just not in my personality. You're in training. And so sometimes you do things that aren't quite natural for you. That's why you train. Because then you'll be able to do and be something that you currently cannot do and be. And that's what training is about. So if you're an introvert, then this will come easy, but you have to have this in your life. If you're an extrovert, this comes easy, but you have to have this in your life or you won't be balanced, you won't be mature, and you won't be on track. Okay, you with me so far? Let's look at solitude. Oh, before, before that, let me read you a quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, he was martyred by the Nazis even. He said this, let him who cannot be alone... Beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. And so he's essentially saying the same thing that you've got to have both of these in a healthy portion. Let's talk about solitude first of all. Um, two reasons for solitude at least. A couple years ago in some of my reading I found an Armenian proverb. So it's not in the Bible but the Bible truth supports this. And it says this. Solitude is full of God. Isn't that awesome? Solitude is full of God. Some of you are looking for God. I'll tell you where, you, where to find him. All by yourself. Now he can be found anywhere. But solitude is full of God. Sometimes we miss God in the hustle, the bustle, all our friends, all the noise, everything going on. And the other reason, solitude is full of God. Another reason is this, so that you can find the real you. So you can find the real you because how many of you know when you're with this person or these people or whatever, you kind of take on, we're a little bit chameleon, aren't we? Come on, we're a little bit chameleon, aren't we? You know, and some of y'all are chameleons and you've been thrown on tie-dye and you don't know what to do, okay? You know? <laughs> and so we, we tend to do that. When you, you know, my wife, originally from Georgia, and she'll get on the phone with family up in Georgia and in five minutes her accent is back and that's not an evil wrong thing that when we're with people within reason we kind of take on some things with them but you're going to discover the real you in solitude you've got to have Solitude in your life. And it's not just getting away. It's not just getting alone. It's getting with God. Now let me stop right here so that I can really, really hook you up with solitude and fellowship. You will have, and I want to guarantee it, you will have virtually always immediate takeaway from solitude and fellowship. Some of the other things are residual. They're over time. But I'm telling you, You get alone with God, there's going to be almost always some kind of immediate something done right. Good fellowship, always, almost immediate, almost always something immediate that is a takeaway from there. So it's very, very important. Now, here's some things about solitude. And I'm not going to give you a list of rules and steps and a checklist because we don't want to make it a checklist. We want to make this a real thing. This is about relationships here. 
So one person has said that fa- that solitude is fasting from people. I kind of like that. Fasting from people. It recalibrates you. It resets you. This is a way that you can connect with God. It replenishes your soul. Does your soul ever need replenished? You know, you need the still waters. You need the green pastures. You need to be away with the, your good shepherd. You, you need to allow him to feed you and, and mend you and, and get the briars out of your fur. Amen. It's also a time not only to replenish the soul, but it's a time to decompress. I find sometimes I'm not depressed. I'm just compressed. You know what I mean? It's like the load of life, the load of ministry, family, and so forth, the pace, the weight of different things, that it compresses you. And you've got to get to a place where you can decompress. The best place to do that is in the presence of God in solitude. And it's important. You pay attention to this because if you don't decompress, the next step, go alphabetical, you're going to be depressed. Okay, so you have to decompress. Compress, And the greatest way to do that is just in the presence of God. Just as we, in relationships with an individual, we have to spend some alone time. You're going to have to do that with Jesus. You're going to have to have some alone time with Jesus. Relationship with God is intensely personal. It's intensely personal. He saved you. He's able to save you one at a time. He doesn't have to wait. No, we need four more people in the group. You know, before we load up this, no, no, it just, he saved you. He loves you. He deals with you. He guides you. He reminds you. He forgives you. He convicts you. And one day you will give an account of yourself to God. Relationship with God is intensely personal. So people that only live out a relationship with God in a group group setting like this, you're missing out. And you're going to have to get beyond just fellowship and you're going to have to get into solitude with God. It's so, so, so important. And again, it's not just me time. It's you getting away to get with God. In that time, he might show you something and tell you something that you couldn't see or hear if you weren't just alone with him. And I've found that so often, sometimes the answers that actually were obvious, I couldn't see nor hear them. In, in this other setting, but when you're alone with him, it just becomes very, very clear. Plus, I find that when you, when you leave solitude, you see and hear much more clearly as well. Let me give you a few scriptures here because solitude was very important to Jesus. In Matthew 14, verse 23, it says, And when he'd sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain, help me, by himself. By, go ahead and say it again. By himself. By himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. And he said to them in, in Mark uh, 631, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a, to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. And they did not even have time to eat. Luke 442. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Luke five sixteen. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus withdrew and went into solitude for a number of things. He did it after his baptism for 40 days in the wilderness before he went into ministry. He went into solitude to mourn after the beheading of John the Baptist. In seasons of prayer, seasons of focus, solitude. Before he chose the 12 disciples, solitude. 
He went to the Garden of Gethsemane for a measure of solitude prior to the suffering and crucifixion and resurrection. Moses, Isaiah, David, all sought out solitude. David used it as he said to calm his fears and to encourage his soul. Paul, even prior to ministry and throughout ministry, would spend time away in solitude. And this is the deal. And again, not giving you a a, a checklist, but make sure these things are involved. You're going to have to schedule it. You're going to have to plan to get alone. Hello? The other night I took my wife out on a date and we have to fight to make that happen. I mean, not fight each other, but we have to fight schedule and stuff. And we got so many kids (laughs) and and, you know, you've got all of that, but you know, you're going to have to, if you don't say we are going to do that, then you won't. And if you're waiting for some automatic solitude opportunity to happen, it's going to be when your car breaks down on a country road. Okay. It's like, You don't want forced solitude. You want, you want to kind of get there yourself. Amen. In solitude, you need to keep your mind engaged or you'll fall asleep. It's a great time to worship. It's a great time to pray, to meditate, to read, to memorize. You can do it while you're walking, sitting, hiking, biking. You can do it in silence or I like to sometimes set an atmosphere with, with, Music, even lighting. And uh, I like soft, like instrumental music. And you go, no, no, I've got to have my... No, no, not for solitude. You want to make sure that you don't get so engaged in other ways that you can't be still and know that he is God. Actually, this past year, we produced a devotional CD called Solitude. This year, we're going to do one called Fellowship. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. But Solitude, that's... To set that atmosphere in solitude. It's get alone. Get away with God. But not just to get away. It's to get with God. Next I want to talk about fellowship. First of all everybody say solitude. Solitude. And listen to me. It's a spiritual discipline. And I want to clear this up. It's not me time. It's you. Getting away from everything else. This doesn't have to be a week long thing. This doesn't have to be an hour long thing. It will vary. Sometimes you've got 10 minutes of solitude that is amazing. And sometimes you can even work out a whole day or part of a day or a couple of hours or whatever it would be. And make sure that, and make sure that you at least get some moments. First and final 15. With God, solitude, you, you need it. It's a discipline. Some of you it will come easy. Some of you it's going to be hard. But you're going to have to do this so that everything else I showed you on page one can be a reality in your life. Solitude is full of God. Solitude, in solitude, you're going to be able to find the real you as well. Fellowship. Say fellowship with me. Fellowship is not just hanging out. It's not just, hey, you want to hang out? No. Fellowship is deliberate. It's intentional. And when you are in real biblical fellowship, you are, we're in fellowship right now on one level because we are participating together. We are sharing together in something common. That's the Greek koinonia for, for fellowship. That's what we're, we're doing right now. But there's all different levels of fellowship. You know, we find that Jesus sent out the 70. He had the 12. He had the three on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had John, the beloved disciple. There's all different levels that we have. And you cannot have the same level of fellowship with everybody. Uh, Pastor Bernard taught us the last time that he was here. 
He said, as we mature, we go from quantity to quality. And, and you're going to have quantity. You should. You should have broad fellowship. But also, you should have some very quality fellowship in your life as well. If you're with me so far, bob your head, do something, punch your neighbor. Okay, good. Make sure you're here. But it has to be intentional. You have to realize, and here's, here is the bottom line about fellowship. Value. Value. It's about you connecting with somebody intentionally, them connecting with you. And here's the end result. Value is added to you. And you add value to them. That's what real fellowship is. As parts of the body of Christ with the life, the gifts, everything else that are in each of us. That a purposeful, intentional coming together, sharing together. We add value to one another. I'm real concerned about any relationship any of you would have that takes value away from you. Talk more about that later. Actually, let me go ahead and say something on this. The next high call meeting in our men's advance. Men, listen to me. Men have a responsibility to carry value and add value. Our society, our decisions, our media, everything else has devalued men. We've devalued ourselves. We had the wrong definition of what a man was to be. And we end up walking around damaged and devalued. And we have no value sometimes to give to anybody because of our own damage. Therefore, we devalue other people and everything goes down. And men, it's time that we become really the men of God. We get our wounds healed up. We get the damage fixed. Let God do a work in us so that we regain our value so we can distribute value. And men, I'm going to tell you, we, hold, we bear much of the responsibility. Step up. Step up and make sure that we're fellowshipping in the right way. But fellowship is about on every level, marriage on all to, to whatever level it's about adding value to someone or is not fellowship. We need one another. We're called to fellowship. We're called to community. The Bible says it's not good that somebody should be alone. That's not to take away from solitude. Solitude is a discipline that we purposely do this. But it's not good that you be alone. Ecclesiastes said that woe to you when you are alone if certain things happen to you. We've got to have other people. We're called to live in a one another world. And the family of God is about one another. You have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities, but they're not just for you. They're to add value to people. They're to be used with and for other people. If, if God, if, if you can sing... That's a gift. And it's not just for you. It's to be used for Sing to children. Sing to grandchildren. If you're a little better than that, sing in a Bible study. Sing, you know, sing in a worship team, in a choir, what a, you know, on a missions trip. Find some way. Share your voice. It's a gift. Unfortunately, there's some people that think they have the gift. <laughs> and here's the problem. Because they don't have fellowship... They don't know they don't have the gift. Because when you have real fellowship, your friend will go, no, no, don't do that. Don't do it. You know, every year we kind of watch and enjoy, to some measure, the auditions for American Idol. And there are people that come and audition that fully believe they can sing. And they do the profile on their life and you find out what's missing in their life is fellowship. Because somebody would have told them, No. If you have a wonderful smile, 
It's not just for you. You hear me? It's not just for you. You don't keep that to yourself, hide that under a bushel, and to everybody else, you're like, hey, hey, duh, hey, duh. And then you pop open your compact. You don't do that. What you have, you share. No, what you have, you share if you have a gift, a talent, ability. You share. Somebody brought me mango pies this morning. That's a gift. Let me keep going. No, I'm not going to share. <laughs> Solitude, buddy. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Listen, it's about one another. It's about together. Even the rapture of the church, it's not like um, you and you. and No, we rise what? We rise together. I hope you're not. Casting dirty looks and on the way up. See, I told you. No. We rise together at the final resurrection, even from the dead. We rise together to live together forever with the rest of the family of God. And those that have preceded us will be together again with them. Together. Fellowship cannot be just programmatic, though. You cannot just expect somebody make a program for me so I have fellowship. Much of fellowship is organic. It occurs kind of naturally. You're involved in it. God will direct traffic. God will bring people into your life. Pay attention. Ask him. Pay attention. And God will bring good fellowship into your life. He'll do that. But church is a wonderful way. Church is probably the best setting. Because there are people seeking after the same things. And we're fellowshipping on one level here. But there's so many areas you could serve. We have so many different groups. Where there's activities and, and, and events and opportunities. Everything from the cafe to our archery range. Which I went out there the other day and it is incredible. I didn't know that's what all it was. It's fabulous. I am going to be an archer. <laughs> and there's groups and there's places to serve. And there's so many different things. But listen to me. It's not all up to the church. And from time to time, you need to make a program for me so people could, I could have some friends. <laughs> Scripture says, if you want friends, be friendly. Nobody will talk to me. Talk to somebody then. I did. <laughs> then maybe you need a mint. <laughs> What's my point? You bear responsibility in this too. You bear responsibility to be friendly, to, to, to reach out, to be a friend and to pray and expect that God will help us. And you can't be friends with everybody on the same level. Anthropologists tell us that, that villages won't form much over 50 where people will actually be related and close. And really in our day and age, you're really not going to have 50 people that you're close, close, close to. You'll have thousands and through, uh, you know, social networking now with Twitter and Facebook and everything else. You have a billion friends. I know you do, but you're not close to all of them. And you can't. And some of you try. Oh, it's my best friend from junior high. We're going to be best friends forever again, even though I haven't talked to you in 40 years. But And you try and it lasts two days and you're like... Because they're there and you're here. 
let God direct traffic, but this is very, very important that you do have responsibility in this uh, to play with, to play in this. Fellowship is intentional. Fellowship requires investment. And there's plenty of scripture on this. I'm just going to read a couple to you here for the sake of time. Uh, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? One another. Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. I'm telling you, if you'll show brotherly love and give preference to people, God will direct the traffic and the right people are going to end up in your life. Hebrews 10, 25, and this is another one. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to this statement. Christianity cannot be practiced in isolation. Christianity cannot be practiced in isolation or it is irrelevant. It is irrelevant and you'll get goofy too. It cannot be practiced in isolation. The bulk of the New Testament is instruction for us in how we live with one another, how we respond to one another, how we take care of one another. Let me just go through a partial list here. Live in harmony with one another, love one another, accept one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, greet one another. Let me stop on that one real quick. Greet one another. Our culture is losing manners. And sometimes we run into people that were purchased with the same blood as us. That are running the same circles as we are. And we greet each other like this. What are we? Cows? And I'm not talking about you've got to go in a great big conversation and tell them everything. Well, on Tuesday, I went to the library and, you know, they don't want that. But, I mean, just have the courtesy and the love to look at somebody and to smile at somebody and to greet them. Hello. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. Y'all with me? Greet one another, serve one another, bear with one another, make allowances for one another, be kind to one another. That's a good one. Be kind. Everybody say that one. Be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, speak to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, edify one another. Let me boil it all down for you here. There are essentially three things that need to happen in good, godly, biblical fellowship. And, and I throw in godly and biblical and all that. I'm not just talking about when you come in a church setting. I'm talking about in your life. I'm, I'm talking about the people that you interact with. In, in, an, in, an, in a way that God has put people in your life that adds value to you and you add value to them. Just three words here real quick. First of all, what needs to happen is in fellowship, someone exhorts you. And you exhort somebody. You need to... uh, Let me define it for you. It's to encourage someone toward something. It's to encourage someone away from something. It's to help somebody stay on track. Look at me. Listen to me. You've got to have people in your life that will look you square in the eye and say, you've got broccoli in your teeth. Okay? And that's, that's the lowest level, okay? You've got to have people in your life that will tell you the truth. You've got to have people that when you start to get involved in something or with somebody or whatever, they'll go, 
What? That love you enough to tell you, that, are y'all with me? A lot of people don't want that. It's not in anybody's business. This is my business, my life. Yeah, and you're going to wreck it. And you've got to have some people in your life that love you enough to look you in the eye and say, what are, what are you doing? Tell me why you're doing this. You hear me? Because they love you. Now, not everybody has that right. Not some stranger or somebody you met one time come up and say, I need to talk to you about your life. No, you don't. You don't know me. But God will put people in your life and, and there'll be a level and you'll know it. I've got people like that in my life. You need to have people like that in your life that love you enough, that will tell you the truth, will encourage you toward good things, will encourage you away from wrong things, and will help you to keep on track. Second thing, and that adds value to your life. Second thing is encourage. Everybody say encourage. Again, it's about value. What is encourage? Basically, it's two things. You ready for this? You've got to have people in your life that can cheer you on. You're involved in something. You're doing something. You're going through something, whatever, and they cheer you on. You've got to have people that cheer you on. You've got to have people that tell you, good job. I'm proud of you. I love you. That's awesome. Try again. But also not just cheer you on, you ready for this, that are able to cheer you up. Because sometimes we all get down. And sometimes we don't want anybody to know we're down. You've got to have somebody that you can go to that encourages you, that can cheer you up. That knows you well enough to say, no, you need cheered up. You've got to have that. Amen? And the last one is this, and this is important. Fellowship and the people you're in fellowship with. You need to be able to enjoy them. You've got to have people that make you laugh. Husbands and wives, you need to make each other laugh. Friends, you need to make each other laugh. Because listen, it's a chemistry issue. Because if you only had somebody in your life, you got broccoli in your teeth. And I'm cheering you on. But they're no fun and you don't enjoy being around them. I mean, that's part of the glue that, that causes the whole thing to run and stick together. is people that you enjoy. Well, I don't have anybody in my life I enjoy. Well, you need to pray. (laughs) Serious. God knows. God puts the solitary into family. God will bring people into your life. God will order your steps. I'm telling you. You can... You could be plucked up from your little world right now and thrown into another whole place in the world. And if you trusted God, God would take care of you. I mean, he'd send angels in the meantime if he had to. God will bring people into your life. Y'all hear me? God will take care of this. But you have to cooperate with this. And you have to involve yourselves in brotherly love and assembling together. And hanging out with people that will add value to you. Listen. Don't lower your value so that you can have some acceptance from somebody. If sinners entice you, do not consent. So come, come join lots with us. Come be with us. We're going to go do this. Don't go. Because it's bad decisions and it's wrong directions and it will damage you. It will devalue you. But in real fellowship... And open your hearts because listen to me, church, every one of you, open your hearts because I think God's going to bring people into your life that you're going to be able to exhort, encourage, and enjoy. And as a result, they too will be exhorted, encouraged, and will enjoy.
Amen. Let me finish this up this morning. None of us is the whole deal. We're all just parts. I said, we're all just parts. I think it was last night before service. I was thanking Mike Quisted, our sound technician. He oversees so many different things. And Mike is just top drawer, top drawer. And he's been a friend of mine for about 30 years. And I love that guy. I love that guy. He's my buddy. And I came out before service and we do a mic check to make sure it works. How many of you know it's good that the mic works, you know? So we checked that and I thanked him and I, and then he said, Hey, just glad to be a part. And I said, you're a part of, and this is the way we view this as staff and volunteers. We're all a part of a big preaching machine. This is not Tim Gilligan. I'm just part. I just, the guy who stands and talks, but it wouldn't even work with all of us. If we, if we all didn't do our part, uh, about a month ago, our television in the living room broke. And we, we recently uh, got a big flat screen, came into this century, where before our TV was about that thick. Now it's that wide. Well, it didn't work. And we're, and we're doing the remote, and that didn't work. We changed the batteries, that didn't work. And then we actually went and pushed the actual button. And that didn't work. So I called the guy and, you know, go through the whole thing. They said, well, we think it could be this. Well, I'll bring some parts. The guy shows up, takes it down, takes it all apart. And he said, yep, that's it. It's this part. And he said, and I've got it right over there, what you need. But you know what? Even in the same room, until they got together in fellowship, participating in something together, nothing worked. This part had no meaning by itself. This whole thing didn't work without this. But when you took just that little, little circuit board thing, just little deal. And take that little part and you put it in its right place. It fellowships together. It's a wonderful thing. And I got to watch most of Shark Week. That's second. Let me finish this up this morning. We are called to, and we need to be engaged in spiritual disciplines and in these disciplines of solitude and fellowship. I want to remind you of this. Listen to me carefully. These disciplines almost always have an immediate return. Almost always an immediate takeaway. When you'll not just get away and not just get alone, but get with God. And then when you fellowship in such a way that value is being added to you. I have some people I'm in fellowship with. Just a phone call lifts me up. Mylon Lefevre, he's he's a dear, dear, dear friend. We're, We're in covenant together as friends. Last year when he was here, we went to dinner and I had all my family there. And they call him Uncle Mylon. And this was just, this was precious. This is what I'm talking about. At that point, Katie had not yet had little Gavin, and we're all sitting there. And Mylon said, may I please have the honor to address your family? I said, yes. We're sitting in a restaurant. And got everybody's attention. They look, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm Uncle Mylon, and I take that pretty serious. And I'm in covenant with your daddy, or as he says, your diddy, and your mama. 
And you need to know that if you ever need anything, you call me. And we're crying in Carabas. <laughs> Why? He just added value. We can be on the phone just for a few moments and he'll have something to say. I'll have something to say. We'll laugh. We'll do whatever. And you know what? I leave with value. He leaves with value. You've got to have people like that in your life. There are times where, and I'm just using him as an example. There's times where he's called me up and go, brother, the Lord showed me this. Or the Lord told me to tell you this. Listen, you've got to have people in your life that can pray for you. You've got to have people, I mean, pray for you. That care enough, that remember enough, that will pray for you. You've got to have people in your life that will remember you. And people that will tell you the truth. You know, Pastor Bernard has told us over and over again, if you're the smartest one in your group, you need a new group. You've got to have some people bigger and better than yourself. And you've got to be in sweet fellowship. And you've got to be in sweet solitude with God. And there's always this takeaway. I'll end with this. Become all that you can be in solitude. And bring who you are becoming into fellowship. And it will add value on both places. Engage yourself. Get in training with these spiritual disciplines. Solitude and fellowship. And we've got more that we'll talk about later. Did you get anything at all out of this this morning?